Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chuck and Anthony Continental, the prestige limited edition premiere format, all about all about a movie that's that's just about one man's love for a dog, really. John Wick. It really is. Like I, th- I almost feel like it's an antidote to toxic masculinity. Is it? <laughs> no, but we can say that. Uh, it's not. It's not at all. But uh, you know, let's go. Let's with go it. with it. Uh, I'm Anthony Carboni, yeah. sitting across the internet. From Mr. Chuck Wendig. Hey How are you, sir? I am well. How are you? I am I'm doing well. As well. Yeah. I'm uh That's good. Got a, still got a little bit of the uh the cold brain. You got a little you got a little some junk, some phlegm. Just some yeah, some cotton just shoved up into the brain. Not so much the sinuses not... anymore, but yeah. the brain itself. Yeah, the brain is infected. You're the brain yeah, yeah. the brain's gotta go. We've gotta cut out the brain. <laughs> Get rid of that thing. I think it's just a lump up. Of- Pudding. Uh, so last time we spoke about this film, we got up to um, we got up to the first gunfight. And what I love about this movie is it takes thirty minutes for anybody to even like really do anything actiony. Yeah, and then it then it isn't anything that's not actiony. Yeah, then it's just <laughs> it's like, like, all right, here it is till the end of time. Yeah, it's like there's this whole plot moment where the first twenty thirty minutes is someone pushing something up to the edge of a cliff, and the remainder of the film is just the thing falling. That's it. If you watched the marketing for this movie or if you saw the poster for this movie or you're just like, I'm going in to see this movie, you really would expect just all out action from almost go. Yeah. Um, and I love the way this movie gives you 30 minutes of like, oh, bad things are coming. Bad things are coming. And yeah. And it works. It totally works. I mean, you, you hear Baba Yaga. You just like, you kind of know, uh, he, breaking the, his, his chest open, chest of weapons, uh, dog dying, his wife dying. It's just like this series of pain. Just pain, cascading after pain. And uh, yeah, you know what's coming. Building this kind of slow suspense is something a lot of movies try to do. And um, it's not easy. No. They don't often pull it off correctly. I shouldn't have been as invested in the first 30 minutes of this film as I was. No. There's a lot of breaking a lot of rules that we talk about a lot, like the idea of talking around things uh, and not showing your audience what's actually happening, not giving them sort of characters like a character to latch on to or some action to latch on to or an inciting incident within the first 10 15 minutes to latch on to yeah like all that's kind of thrown out of this film yeah like i said there's no save the cat moment it's a kill the dog moment. <laughs> you know it's such a strange inversion of it and and like you know most films of this ilk you know die hard being a good example of that right it's like I often say that tension is this uh, the act of filling a room with oxygen, and the more oxygen you fill it with, the you know brighter and faster and hotter it's going to burn when you set it on fire. The fire part, the explosion, is not the tension, but the release of it. Um, and Die Hard does that. You know, you have these buildup of tension, and then uh, action scene happens, and then it slows back down, gives you some time to reacclimate. He meets uh, he meets Pal on the ground, and this happens, and that happens, and then boom again, we're we're blowing up some oxygen. This movie is not that at all. <laughs> it's just oxygen filling for twenty thirty minutes, and then it's just an explosion. Yeah. For the remainder. So we just had our first explosion. We just had the yep. fight in John's house. Probably the most elegant fight film or fight scene in the in the yeah i they definitely wanted to show the rest of this is going to be very it gets bigger and bigger and it also gets more and more desperate as the movie goes on yeah he takes pain he takes some pain but this movie is very much about like hey we're paying off the promise that the first 30 minutes of this movie had we're we're showing you 
the boogeyman. We're showing you this guy who never makes a wrong move, where everything is precision. Uh, and then at the end, with the with the knife stab, they definitely show us uh, not just precision, but like this is a guy who has no remorse and won't quit. That's the moment yeah. that you get. This is the Baba Yaga. Yeah, this is the time you see he's the boogeyman, and it's fascinating because. Prior to this, the scene where his house is invaded and he's basically just taken down instantaneously, uh, this sort of pays off that in the inversion of like, oh, he was a he got sucker punched there, and that's sad. And you're like, oh, is he kind of gonna is he gonna lose here too? I mean, you you do actually feel like it's possible he's gonna die, and then he just calculatedly executes every last one of them. It is that he got sucker punched, and then as the movie goes on, you also get a little bit of the feeling, and they don't. They don't show this in any way, but this is a feeling that I got until he knew who the attackers were, until he understood the motivation and until they came after Daisy, he almost like took the licks. Yeah. You get the feeling. Yeah, he got sucker punched, but he probably could have gotten out of that if he wanted to. Right. He's just deciding, no, this is my life now. (laughs) This is it. I'm the guy that takes the punches now because I promised I wouldn't do this anymore. And then. And then, oops. So you do get, they never, they never actually say that or give you any real inclination in terms of, of the material of the movie. Yeah. But I always felt that. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I had always interpreted it that he had let all of his guard down emotionally, mentally, physically. He had, uh, succumbed to both, um, a life of peace with, you know, his wife and now, um, a life, a sort of a soft, guideless life with this dog. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't think he was preparing for, uh, you know, dudes to come in his house and and, and kill the puppy. So here we have uh, we have the noise complaint. Uh, we come to the door and this is where we see the sort of world building of this. Uh, up until now, it's these aren't things that we haven't seen in a movie like this before. Right. Like we've got this weird kind of. Um, uh, this weird kind of like Western idea of a Russian mafia, right? Yeah. Um, which is very common to films. We've got this idea of like the trained assassin that's gone into retirement, which is something we see in films. Right now, it's all very like it's not real and it's not grounded, but it is grounded in a sort of action movie reality that we're familiar with. Yeah, it could be a thing you that is. I mean, though it's heightened, it, it could be real, right? Like a guy works for the mafia. But the mafia accidentally pisses in his Cheerios, and now he's back, and he's got to take them all down. Fine. It could be that simple, and it is not going to be that simple. When Jimmy comes up and there's a noise complaint... Yeah, are you working again? The doubloons are where things start to really go off the rails and say, like, oh, there's a reality here that we never knew about. There's a currency that does not exist in our world. There's a, a, a code that it does not exist in our world. This is a whole new thing. These gold coins, man. These gold coins, I came across an article that we'll go into a little later on uh, that was written by somebody who is an economist who was talking about the gold coins. Like the value of them. Yeah. Exchange rate. This is something where like when you first watch John Wick, the gold coins actually can kind of infuriate you. Yeah. Um, And we'll see why in in a minute here. But um, 12 bodies, 12 coins. Yep. This gentleman comes in, this little gentleman in his pork pie hat. Yeah, who's from The Crow, right? He's uh, fired up, and he's from, uh, what's that horrible movie about the, dr- uh, Dennis Quaid is in Fighting Dreams? What the hell was Oh, that? Dreamscape. Dreamscape? Yeah, Dreamscape. yeah, yeah. Isn't he, isn't he in that? He thing? is, and so, like, having yeah. him come out is a very, like, yeah. welcome to the netherworld, welcome to the Dreamscape, like, hey, you're back. Yeah. 
Yeah, Dreamscape, The Crow. Like, yeah. it feels very much it, like John Wick is a supernatural film without being a supernatural. Yeah, film. and so it's like, hey, you're we welcome back. I am I am sort of the gatekeeper of this heightened supernatural world. But again, one of, one of the things I love about it is, despite the supernatural fuckery going on that that it feels like it also is really rigorous and like what i talked about last week counting its bullets mm-hmm. um like it, it does still want to kind of make it real and grounded in in its weird reality and by the way just as a person i'll tell you right now as a guy who writes them fancy books uh don't don't get guns wrong in a book right if you ever write a book don't do that you can get anything wrong. You could be like, uh, I can call it New Dark City and misspell the word Philadelphia, and I, I could get anything wrong. Do not ever get guns wrong. Thousand emails, a thousand. I was appearing on some on some show. It was like a live stream, like Twitch thing, and we were we were kind of hyping it up. And they had like a bunch of, for whatever reason, they were shooting a sketch, and they had a bunch of fake guns around. Sure. And so I decided they were like, hey, can you do a couple things from the studio and just show off like that you're here? And so I did like this weird thing where it was like it was gun day. It was gun day in the studio. Gun day. Because there, yeah. there were fake guns lying around. So we were doing all these like weird things where I was like, you know, putting peanut butter and jelly on a, on a sandwich at the, in the <laughs> break room with a gun. I was doing like it was just that weird sketch that like I feel like has been done a couple times. We got guns. Do everything with guns. Yeah. Right? It was clearly stupid. One of the most common responses I got to this dumb thing that was clearly about like, hey, why does everybody have these guns in this normal place? This is not okay. (laughs) Right, right. Biggest comment I got was, you're not practicing proper trigger discipline with that gun. And I'm like, what? Do you say that when you watch an action movie and everybody's got their finger on the trigger at all? Like, no, you don't. But there is this thing where like you when if you're writing about guns or if you're using guns somewhere, you have to be very, very aware of the context and the rules and like what people expect within that con because I was doing it on social media. Yeah. It was it was in the real world, right? Because it was on social media. So people were like, Oh, no, you can't do that with a gun in the real world. And I'm just like, <laughs> meanwhile, you're having a whole different point. About yeah, guns being it's made. like, yeah, yeah, it was super weird. But yeah, you're right. Like people are. Um, I feel like rightfully so people who are into guns or not even into guns, but people who are um, who own guns or who use guns um, are very, very sensitive about the proper use and representation of guns. Yeah. Now, I am on board with the uh, people who want to email you about the proper use and safety components, because that's good. That's I mean, you know, not that we should all be toting guns around but i guess if you're gonna, sure i mean nobody uh, like i don't think anybody emailed emil hirsch in speed racer and was like hey you can't do that many donuts in a car but right, like right, sure no. i get what you're saying sure okay <laughs> but like you fuck up clip versus magazine or you put a safety on a glock which i know you don't do and yet i did it in a book recently and i have gotten so many emails about that stupid goddamn safety on the meanwhile it's a it's a book about a woman who can see how you're gonna die and she talks to birds and shit but that fucking safety on that glock boy. but this is a thing oh. right like this is a thing okay so one of my one of one of the thing that came up recently was um han solo's dice mm, yeah in one of the initial throwaway props that they made for the force awakens they used they used regular dice with numbers because it just needed to be up in the frame and then they realized it was going to be seen and they were like Oh, no, 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 no. Those are Earth dice. <laughs> if we put Earth yeah. dice in there. No Earth anything, except it's called the Falcon. Don't worry about that part. If it has numbers, if it has the dots for Earth numbers, yeah. it's fucked. It's over. Yeah. But it's not. It shouldn't be fucked. It no. shouldn't be over. No, it's called the A-wing, A-wing, X-wing, Y-wing, which are, as it turns out, our alphabet. Yeah, but 
you have to set up internal rules. You have to set up an internal reality. There can be a strange thing like this woman can see how how people are going to die. That's fine. But if she's doing it in Chicago in 2019 or wherever it's set, right? She can't take a train in Chicago that doesn't exist. Right. There can't be a safety on a gun that doesn't have a safety. But the rules of seeing how people die don't matter. Although they matter, too, as long as you keep consistent in that fakey shit you made up. Yeah. And so it's it's very interesting, like, the things that will pull us out of movies. Yes. Uh, or the things that will pull us out of books. Yeah, and some people don't care, obviously. Some people, are, they just want to be entertained, or they don't, or there's certain details they don't care about. But certain things that, so there's an audience that cares very strongly about certain things. And Guns is one of those with a protected, yeah, yeah. A protected class. Gun, which probably says something maybe a little much about how we feel about guns it as definitely a country, does how re- we really love them uh you know a lot a whole lot yeah and, so and i mean that's one of those things it's also like look if if uh, my brother's a doctor and if he's watching a medical show he nine times out of ten he has to turn it off yeah right like he's like the heart um, is not in the head that's not where Get it is it's there. just like i don't know it just makes more sense for the scene for the heart to be in the head because we're doing a metaphor yeah. no nope. no no i'm pretty sure that's <laughs> not right but you know i will say to like john wick's credit i as much as it's obviously a gun movie uh because it's like it's but i don't think it's a gun fetish movie like we don't there's no like i don't feel like it's a sexy thing i don't they're like tools like i said he could be running around this entire movie with a hammer just knocking people out yeah with a hammer and it would be the same sort of visceral it's a tool for him not like a wasn't oh, this a cool thing that he's got? Is like he's got a name on it and a, it's engraved. Like it's none yeah. of that. He doesn't have he this doesn't, like yeah, special name his special guns. pair of pistols that have ivory grip and like none of that. He's just like whatever. I'll I'll throw this one at your head. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck off. Like like you initially get a little bit of, a little bit of a whiff of that when he's like, oh, he's hidden his weapons yeah. underground. Yeah. But it's like, oh no no no, he hasn't hid his weapons. He's just hidden some weapons they're just like money or the doubloons they're just yeah. a currency to spend except bullets or he's just going to spend them in your face if you're an international assassin this is your bug out bag yeah, man. this is your bug out bag it's exactly this is your right. emergency preparedness yeah. kit like this is the bucket you open the bucket and you pull the rations out and then you can poop in the bucket that's yeah. what john wick is thinking that's right <laughs> we had to get like an earthquake preparedness kit yeah, of obviously yeah um and my wife was like really really digging into it like she got real into this yeah and she was like, should we get the one that you can that you can poop in and it has the chemicals so like the poop doesn't and I was like, I don't know, man. I feel like once we're pooping in buckets, it's all over for me. Yeah, it's me. like I know you should be like, it's bad enough. I don't want to be here anymore if I'm if that's where we're at. Yeah, if we're at the point where I'm pooping in buckets, I'm useless to you. The world is over. Yeah. I don't yeah. uh no more I don't marriage. have the skills. No. Yeah. We're done. Game over. I I I'll tell you how long I live in that disaster scenario. I live one day after <laughs> one you get day. to the point where you have to poop in a bucket. Yeah, then it's Pac-Man disintegrating. Wow, 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 done. Yeah, it's over. over. Oh, but so on a, on the gun thing, uh, he's using, he's using, if we care, uh, apparently, right, we care about that. Yes, we do. Heckler and Koch, H- an HK uh, P30L with a customized suppressor and compensator. So there you go, gun, gun nerds. That's, All right. That's for you. Sounds cool. Yeah. Or something. You could give him. You could give him a super soaker and paint it black, and I wouldn't know. Yeah, you'd be like, great. I'd be like, if you gave it the right noises, I'd just be like, cool guns, yeah. man. I'll, I'll tell <laughs> John you, Wick, man. My I, I grew up around guns, like hardcore around guns. My dad was a gunsmith, and he uh, he he ran a gun 
uh, shop in our driveway, which is a strange thing. Yeah, I feel like that doesn't fly as much anymore. No, no. I don't think you can get your uh, FFL that way, your uh, firearms license. But uh, like our house was like a like like a fucking pop-up book where you're like, oh, I'm going to pull this pop-up book or like the Star Wars one where there's all these little cool chambers and little things you get. Our house is a pop-up book, but just for guns. You just be oh like, my God. oh, like uh, did this coin go under the couch? Oh, there's a gun under the couch. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. My my dad turned into that guy later in life. Did like he really? not when I not when I was living with him. Sure. Uh but I went and visited him uh, a few years back and like opened up a drawer and there was just a gun in it and I was like, "Yo, dad, <laughs> yeah. what is with this gun uh, in the hallway drawer?" I was looking for a garage door opener and he's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." He's like and he just he just like smiled like it was the most hilarious thing. He's like, "Open open this cabinet over here. Yeah. Look under this thing here." I was like, who are you? You're yeah. 70 years old. Yeah. You're not like, I just picture my dad picturing himself diving and spinning for 18 guns. And yep. it's like, nah, dude. No. Nah, this is not going to work out in your favor. You get to a point where you're putting so many guns around the house where you're actually giving intruders guns. Yeah, that's, that's we, yeah, we were like ready for <laughs> the fucking Alamo in our house. My dad's bedroom alone. They get uh, his sock drawer had a, a forty five with the f- serial numbers filed off because apparently, like, uh, well, you're gonna murder people. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, a Ruger uh, Blackhawk hanging on the door. Uh, Smith and Wesson, like the the uh, Clint Eastwood uh, Dirty Harry Model twenty nine A with the, like the eight inch barrel, the hand cannon under the bed. Uh, and I was like, what do you like? Who? What is happening in your bedroom in your mind? That's like, are we? Is this the road? Like Cormac McCarthy's the road? Are we that like apocalyptic that we need to be so loaded for bear? And then when he passed away, a lot of families go around searching for where the where the cash is hidden. Yeah, no, no. I just got like a will full of like you're now gonna have this like these safes full of guns. And I was like, no, 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 no. What is happening? Check off safe full of guns. Check off safe full of guns. <laughs> the, the third act's coming. I'm gonna use them all. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. I, I eventually like I had to explain it to my dad. Is like, so what's gonna happen? is you're going to come out. There's going to be an intruder. You're going to have your bedroom gun in your hand. Yep. Intruder's going to be going through a drawer and find another gun. Find another gun. And then you're in a gunfight because yeah. you've hidden so many guns around. He had a bat. Yeah. I had never seen my father shoot or hold a gun in my entire life. No, That's the other thing. Is like This is like a late stage <laughs> thing that happened to him. Oh. Yeah, very strange. Very, very strange. strange. This is not a, uh, a movie, as you're saying, that fetishizes guns. It's kind uh, of yeah. like, hey... The, we all have guns because that's our job. This shit is we're, disposable. Yeah, we're a, we're all accountants, and we have and we have really nice calculators. Yep. Like that's what this is. Yep. And if I can't bring my calculator, can I borrow yours? Yeah. I don't have a gold inlaid ivory calculator that I call the auditor. No, you know, and I sit down. Yeah. and yep. I really fucking precision take out these deductions as the camera pans around me slowly. Yeah, like he'll kill you with a shoe. He doesn't need the gun. Yeah. He just it's faster. That's why it's all this. I is. and let me tell you something. By the time we get into Parabellum here, yeah. I feel like killing you with a shoe is gonna be very, very in the scope of the film. Yep. Yep, that's my hope. So we get to our our man on the phone. Yeah. Who just kind of chuckles a little bit after hearing the report of what happened to his crack team. Yeah. And all we hear is, of course he did, put a contract on John Wick. Yeah. And so it begins. This is taking this sort of standard story of two two gods, two warlords, yep. two samurai, two whatever, who are so embroiled in their code that they know exactly how this is going to end, but they have to do it anyway. Yeah. You know, part of the, the father's responsibility here is, 
you're not to lay a hand on Yosef. You're not, nobody touches Yosef, not a hair on Yosef's head right. will be harmed, except put Yosef in the red circle and wait. I know, I know. <laughs> just wait. Let's dangle him as bait. Yeah, we'll just put him there in the middle of the club for when John Wick comes and it's like, my dude. Yeah. Clearly, I mean... You're willing. You- You're willing to lose your son on this one. That's that's one of the things that I do like about this character. He is acting in accordance with the way things are, with expectation. Yeah, I'm the head of I'm the head of this of this organization. I have to work within certain rules. I have to work within uh, there are certain things that are expected of me. He doesn't like his son at all. Hates his son, and we hate his son. Everybody hates his son. Even his friends, I think, hate his son. Yeah. Oh, they all hate him. They all hate him. They all hate him, and that's what I really love. Is like he's just like okay, I can't kill my son. I can't really let John Wick kill my son. It's pure ego. That's really what this is. And actually, I I almost think he's okay if John Wick kills his son as long as he gets to kill John Wick in that trap. Right, right. He just can't lose face. Yeah, he can't. Yeah, exactly. It's an ego. It's a property thing. He owns his son. And so if he comes for him and kills him or takes him, he has to get recompense. You get this. Yeah, you get this feeling that Vigo spends this movie with his fingers crossed, like, hey, if Yosef has to, like, if Yosef dies, oh, jeez. Right. But I'm the one who wants to dangle him and get him killed. Like, I mean, you definitely see, like, Toby, Toby Leonard Moore, uh, Victor. Um, oh, yeah. Who's, he's one of my, one of my faves. Yeah. One day one we'll faves. do a whole podcast about it. Uh, you can definitely see that Victor is just like, ugh. <laughs> Why do I have to protect this idiot? Yep. So, put him in the red circle and wait. Uh, then we head to Marcus's apartment. Sweet Just going to point out Marcus's apartment. No matter what goes on in this plot, no matter what you think Marcus is going to do, Marcus's apartment is blue and gold. Yep. Marcus go. is they're, never not in blue or gold. They're going to they're telling you. They are definitely telling you. Um, but Willem Dafoe plays this. Actors get to a certain point in their career where they know what they're being hired for and and particularly a few different actors are very very good at this christopher Christopher walken Walken is one of them is the first one that comes to mind absolutely christopher walken is look if you go back and you look at early movies in christopher walken's career you look at the deer hunter and things like that oh the deer Jesus. christopher walken is a brilliant character actor yep right he can do anything but he knows that what you want him to do is Christopher Walken. Is fucking Christopher Walken. Jeff Goldblum is the same way. Jeff Goldblum has slowly become the idea of Jeff Goldblum. Bridges, too, to a degree. The two the two Jeffs, yeah. He's very Bridges. He's just always kind of Bridges. It was Lebowski that did it. Lebowski yeah. was like, oh, we know what we want from a Jeff Bridges now. Yeah. Willem Dafoe is another one of these guys where it's like, I know that my face goes from friendly to goblin in, like, one eyebrow arch. Yep. I know that I can do the friendliest, warmest dialogue in the world, and everything about me is friendly. Like, he's doing a straight-up friendly performance. And yet. And yet! (laughs) You're like, I don't trust this guy. This motherfucker. Yeah. This motherfucker's gonna do something. And they they use that so well in In this movie. In a universe without Willem Dafoe, this role doesn't work. No. It definitely does not. You need more. You really need more. Uh, but then, but now that we know, you're just like, yeah, all right, good. So let's talk about like number one. 
unironic Marilyn Manson in 2014. Yeah, again, kind of like Shades of the Crow. Yeah. Like, right? I mean, there's very much a like a, a, a land of the dead going into hell, coming back from the dead to... This is very much like the story of the crow in a weird sort of way. I wouldn't say this is an entirely unironic use of Marilyn Manson. Like, <laughs> no. the song is literally like, we got guns. It just screams, we got guns over and over again. Yeah. Uh, as everybody is just like, gunning up. Yep. <laughs> and you're watching it and you're just like, how is this a scene that exists in a movie in 2014? This feels like a like a sequence from a film in 2004. But it's not cheeky about it. No. That's the thing. It's not like, ah, we gotcha. It's like, no, I mean, no one's like humming along with it. Like they're singing it in their head. Like they're conscious of it. It's not a, uh, a postmodern reference. It's just a nope. The song is the thing. And the yeah. thing is the song. There, there are a couple times during this film where I am not i'm not being pulled out of it but i'm very aware that i'm not being pulled out of it if that makes sense yeah like you you're going along with it but you know why <laughs> yeah not, I'm, you're not lost to the movie you're 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 in the stream and you can see all of the stuff but you're like i'm fucking into it anyway and you feel like they just made it they're like well i really like the song and they got guns you see how they got it and i'm like yeah i see how they got the guns though <laughs> yeah right did you hear the song how that i'm playing that's the song i see it yeah i hear it it's in there and we have this idea we think John is headed towards Marcus's place during this scene. Yeah. They're definitely playing it up as like the moment he accepts this this contract, this $2 million contract, John's going to pull up and he's going to think he's going into his friend's house and oh shit. But then that recedes. That Yeah, John's not going there. It's not the most clever thing, but it's definitely playing on the fact that we feel like these movies run on such a blueprint. So we, uh, he heads to the Continental, which in, which in this film is actually, um, it's Delmonico's in the Flatiron. Oh. Uh, it's no a, kidding. it's a very nice, fancy steak restaurant. Sure. In New York. Sure. Um, but here it is, uh, it is the Continental. My note for this is literally all caps, oh, now we've stepped into a world. This is like, this is a hell, but it's like a cool hell. The real world has, has been left behind 100%. Yes. We no longer have to worry about the fact that this man had a had a normal human wife nope. and a dog and a and a pretty nice crate and barrel house. Yep, he left the real world behind. You know, once again, this movie, like when I watch it, sometimes I'm like, how is this not made in 2004? How is this made 10 years after 2004? Yes, and yet you almost feel like if it was made in 2004, it would have felt too on the nose somehow. Like it's it almost needed 2004 to be a thing first. Yes. The same way, like, we, we talked about Spider-Verse needed 10 years of Spider-Man yeah. movies that we were, like, a little bit tired of. Right. This needed, uh, this needed Keanu Reeves. This needed yeah. early 21st century Keanu Reeves. It really did. And it needed him to be 10 years older. Yep. And just not wearing as much makeup. And, yeah. like, from an outside perspective, you, you watch things like this. You watch things like Spider-Verse. You watch things like even, you know, Thor Ragnarok. And you go... Yeah, they made a lot of conscious choices. They understood a lot about timing and trends. But how much of this, like, I feel like at least 7% of this was just like, oh, we really lucked out with the exact timing of this. Yeah, exact timing and ingrained love. Not even a conscious, well, I'm going to do these orchestrated, articulated things to hit certain buttons. Not to say that's not in all of these films, because obviously... 
you know, we tell stories with uh, intent, but also stories are a product of luck and love and weird moments of serendipity that just sort of happen, whether casting or scripting or just a, a thing in the moment, especially, you know, Taika was very good in Thor Ragnarok of coming up with things on at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so this definitely feels like this is just one of those things that some stuff just lined up and a lot of people who loved a certain kind of thing come together serendipitously to make this movie. Yeah, it's really strange because you... <laughs> You don't want to you don't want to offer up too much to luck, right? Yeah. You don't want to you don't want to offer up too much of the creative process to luck or the muse or like right place right time. Um but you also you also don't want to discount it. <laughs> yeah, and when you can't control everything, you just yeah. you can't. You know, everything. you watch you, you watch a lot of actors or you watch a lot of movies, you like there was that whole period of like I think there was a 10-year period where Dreamworks both live action and animated we're just releasing movies that were exactly other movies that other, you know what I mean? That already came out like three months before that. Like yeah. not even, yeah. In development at the same time in, you know, working on them at the same time, obviously like both big studios put all the trends and popular things and tone into the computer. Yep. And they were like, well, we're making this big comet movie. But like only one big comet movie just sort of like nailed the zeitgeist. And there is a percentage of that that you can't. You can't control. You cannot control. Nope. Um, it's a weird confluence of events. Yeah, it is. And this, this movie is about to become a much weirder confluence of everything yes, uh, now is. that we are in the continental. Uh, so in the continental, continental is, uh, if you notice the the lobby of the continental is heavily blue and purple purple yeah, purple color of kings color of kings it's in john's safety zone but it's not in john's friendly zone no um it's, it's adjacent but not quite it's friendly zone adjacent we we see uh, a couple a couple of characters we meet miss perkins fucking love miss perkins oh miss perkins how perfect is that uh adrian palicki man i know right what like who what yes Listen, yes. Adrian Palicki, you want to talk about that 7% that's like, oh, it almost happened and it didn't and nobody can tell you why. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Palicki has had a couple of those moments. Uh, she was nearly Wonder Woman. Oh, that's right. She had a tele she was television Wonder Woman. Wow. You put it into the trend computer and everybody knew it was time for Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, but that was, she was going to be the Wonder Woman on the television series that was uh, done by the creator of Ally McBeal. And they did some early um, they did a like pilot. videos. Yeah, they did a pilot. You could, oh, you can find it. Yeah. I recommend you don't. Yeah. Uh, but she was great. Um, and then, of course, she was uh, she was Mockingbird in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they were very, very close to doing a Mockingbird series, which I would have loved. She is just amazing at um, just tough. <laughs> yeah. She's just tough and, and cool. And she apparently trained like hell for this movie, too. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. And that's another thing where, like, not just with this movie, but I, but I bet over... The last five, ten years, Adrian Palicki's life, much like Keanu Reeves's life, has just been like a lot of weird physical training that I bet neither one of them ever thought they'd be doing. Hey, by the way, uh, just as a totally since we're talking casting, I was just I just pulled up John with casting and it was just, you know, and I see here chapter three Parabellum. Yeah. Features Jason Manzukis. Are you for real? It's in the IMDb, which is often wrong. Someone could have just trolled that with Jason Manzukis, But uh. Let's just see. Well, uh, I'll I'll tell no, you. No, no, yeah, no, it's true. That's news. 
In May, they announced that. Uh, Holly, Halle Berry and Jason Manzoukas joined John Wick chapter three. You know what? Whatever. I'm in. I am. I'm Dude, fucking in. That's I want bizarre. more Jason Manzoukas. Oh, he's playing someone called the TikTok man, an assassin. Oh, God damn it. What? What? Dude, I'm ready. I am ready for the Zooks to have the big uh, breakout role. I'm, I'm ready. I love Derek. Oh, Derek Give is so Derek. good. Um, yeah. God, Rafi oh, in the league was insane. What an insane I, show. I feel like they brought him into the league to just be like, let's like let's just see what happens when you get in the mix, yeah, my dude. Like you're a you're a Molotov cocktail of ayahuasca. <laughs> We're just gonna throw it in there, see what happens. Man, that's good. That's, that's good very news. good. Good dude, news, everybody. Let me tell you something. Yeah. If, can I can I be real with you here? Do it. Be real. Be real. I'm looking at the IMDB here. Yeah. He's credited after Keanu Reeves and above Halle Berry. Well, the TikTok man is all up in this film. I, I, I want now a TikTok man standalone. I, I don't even it. know. Give me the TikTok man expanded universe, please. Yeah, I want it. Or a five issue limited comic. I'll write it. Hook me up. Someone. It's time. We instantly get the feeling that Miss Perkins and John Wick have had many a run in before. Yeah. Uh, they're Perkins. very they're very good at doing the um, the kind of that that nod of like, OK, I love you. I hate you. Yeah. They do it a couple yeah. times in this movie, and it's great. There's some shit between us, and we're going to just pass each other now. You can tell that John thinks that that Miss Perkins is a snake from Go. Yeah. Lance Reddick as Charon, which is like another just yeah. brilliant, brilliant piece of casting. Now, do they actually ever refer to his name as that in the film, or is he simply... He's credited un- as he's Charon. He's credited, but yeah, which is fascinating because it lends more to that like God descent into hell stuff. Yeah, no one's ever like, "Hey, Charon, what's up?" or like, "Hey, Charon, can I get uh, can I get room service?" He's just credited as Charon. He's the fucking ferryman, man, taking you to Hades. Yeah, and I love that John is immediately back into assassin mode. Yeah. When did this place get a facelift? Uh, does it have the same owner? He's very much like, "Is this still a safe space?" Yeah, but I like that it indicates some real time has passed since he's been here. It's not just like because you don't really know that. I mean, you get the sense, obviously, he lived this life with this woman, but it's done so quickly. You know, like, that could have been six months of his life. But this indicates, to me, some years have passed. Definitely. Charon pockets two coins, two yeah. nights at the hotel, two coins. Which, on the one hand, feels like a lot, but also he's like, you're, you're staying in a place which is theoretically as safe as it can get. So let's talk about these gold coins, because we're yeah. about to see John... Uh, so he goes up to his room, he watches the video of his wife again, because we need to be reminded after everything that's happened that this is still the same guy. Right. It's, it was very good that they had him do that because we're about to see him get like even crazier, but he pays one coin into the slot to get into the assassin's club. So it's a, it's a coin to get rid of a dead body, a coin to stay in the hotel, a coin to go to the hotel bar. It's a lot. A coin to get a drink at the bar. Yeah, and you like get the sense that a coin is earned when killing somebody. I mean, that's uh, there's no I don't really know that for sure because we don't actually really see that or they're traded for different favors. But boy, that's yeah. a lot of that's a lot of coins. Yeah, it's like it's like Disneyland. You get dinged a lot, man. You, you know get I mean? dinged a lot. It's like yeah. going to Disneyland. It's like buying one of those cheap DJI drones where you're like, this is very inexpensive for a drone. It's like, hey, you need like 18 accessories to make this work. Yeah. And you're like, oh, OK. Oh. Um, so let's talk about the John Wick eco- uh, economy. Um, I really, really love this. There was a um, there's this idea in economics. An economics professor named Alex Tabarrok said a price is a signal wrapped up in an incentive Ooh. 
So when you think about signals and incentive in the gold coin system, this is an article that was in the Washington Post about the John Wick economy. I love that people care about this. Yeah, this people, much. Care. people care about all kinds of amazing things. The idea is you're trying to keep this a safe hotel. This is this hotel itself is the a 100% safe place to be. Right. In order to make sure people aren't holding up there forever, in yeah. order to make sure people can't stay there for a while and like start thinking about breaking the rules or getting into fights or scrapes or like, hey, I'm safe and you're safe, but we don't really like each other. And if we're here for a couple weeks, tension's going to build up. Yeah, the law is invoked by you have to literally pay something. So everybody's in. It's all in. It's like a poker game. Everybody's all in. From this first movie, you get the idea that these coins are given out in like a very, you got to do something bad to get a coin. Yeah. They're uh, signals of sin. Yeah. John's got a lot of these coins. Yeah. And John is the boogeyman, right? People who come to the Continental probably don't throw coins around as much as John Wick does. No. Um, especially because we're supposed to believe that John really doesn't know or care or think that he's going to get out of this one alive. Yeah. Nope. So he's spending those he's coins. He's purging. He's, not, he's no longer binging. He's purging. Guns are super cheap, right? Yeah. But if you want a little bit of friendship in the hotel... You got to go to this bar and that's a whole coin. It's a whole coin just to be friendly with people. There's this idea of what is scarce in an assassin economy. Yeah. If you think about it that way, the coins make perfect sense. The, the exchange rate for coins, like you could go get a drink anywhere if you're an assassin, but you're not safe. Nobody understands you. You can't talk to anyone. Right, right. Right. You're getting a drink alone. You're spending another, another time isolated and scared and in danger. So if you are this sort of person, the idea that like, oh, of course it's a coin to get into a bar where I can just fucking chill for once. I know. What a, <laughs> what a rare and special thing. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting and it makes the coins make a lot of sense to me. The bar is red, blue, and gold in equal measure. Okay. It's, yeah. not, it's not a lot of danger, but it's not great. Right. Um, we see more uncomfortability between John and Perkins here. Yeah. Perkins herself sitting by the stage, which is red. Then we we finally meet Winston. Ah, oh, Winston. And again, another character who has begun to bring himself. Ian McShane is sort of cast as Ian McShane. He's very much, he's different from Odin here in terms of, um, you know, Mr. Wednesday from American Gods, but he's mm -hmm. a little bit that. I mean, he's kind of, he's just Ian McShane. You see him and he's going to bring that to this role. Yeah. A lot of people casted to, to be their reputation yeah. in this movie yeah. about a guy who is entirely reputation. Yeah. Winston's booth. Equal mix of red, blue, and gold, which I really love. Yeah. How perfect. If you freeze the frame and you look at it, you're like, oh, okay. This guy is, he's very, he's being very friendly to John right now, but you're, you can tell he is equally friendly to everyone. Yes, precisely. The, the, the conversation between the two of them is, is really great because it does have, once again, this idea of the underworld, this idea of like, you made it out once. Yeah. There's bargaining, there's journey, there's that, that exchange and barter of things, of ideas. Yeah, there's something here. There's this idea of like of Orpheus and Lot and all of these things where it's like, yep. you can make it out You should once. not have looked back. Yeah. Why did you look back? You just didn't look back. They find out that John is at the Continental, yep. as we speak. Vigo finds out in his car, and um, he says, if they're willing to break the rules of the Continental, double the bounty. 
Well, I wonder who would do that. Who would do that? Who have we seen that would do that? Hmm. Yeah. Who seems feral, like a feral cat? Yeah. Who's who's just sitting ensconced in red, giving our boy dirty looks? Oh, hello, Perkins. I love that Addie and Sharon both call John Jonathan. Oh, yeah, Jonathan. That's right, yeah. It's it's a reverse nickname. Yeah. Nobody calls John, John Wick Jonathan. No, it's very proper, and it suggests knowledge and history. I like Addie. Addie is good. Yeah, Addie's great. I am sad there's not more Addie. Yeah. It's just such an intense charisma and a suggestion of history in a relationship. I mean, don't get me wrong. It works for what it is, but boy, like I I want to I want to know. Yeah. I just want to know. I I always love in like in noir movies, in detective movies, these sort of lonely hero movies. There's the femme fatale, but then there's like the the squeaky clean buddy, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's always the friendly bartender or the the manager at the nightclub or whoever it is that's just kind of like could be just a real nice, cool friend. Yep. And they they never get as much screen time as you would like. And it's always on purpose because it's like this guy is not allowed to have this. No, not allowed to have a friendship like this. And then also, I think for for something like John Wick or, or in the Philip Marlowe movies uh, as well, there's this idea of like, hey. Don't get him too friendly with her because we don't want anybody shipping these two together. We don't want that yeah. in people's heads because then we have to kind of pay it off in some way. Yeah. And it also puts her in the plot. People might try to kill her. Like, it's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really just kind of like, you're nice. If everybody I, if everybody I touched didn't die, it'd be cool to hang out and go bowling. Yeah, but they so clearly know each other. And you can tell, I mean, just by being the bartender at this Hades realm. She clearly has seen some shit. Yeah. Oh, like give give me the mo- uh, standalone Addy movie. I demand it. Well, here's the thing: the Continental series, right? Oh, right. My idea here is probably we see a lot more Addy in the Continental series. Oh, because I if hope I'm so. going to do an anthology series based around John Wick, you do that. Who are my central characters? It's Sharon yeah. and Addy. The bartender is an anchor. Oh, it's good, right? Oh, that's good. When, what, what is that? Like, I know the, con- I'm actually not, I know it's a thing, but I don't know where and when. Yeah, so we don't. We don't know. Okay. They're keeping it uh, intentionally vague, but the idea is it's set at the Continental. Sure. It's going to follow a group of assassins. John Wick will make an appearance, but here's something that's really clever. They have not said if Keanu Reeves will make an appearance. We oh. don't know when this is set. Interesting. So is it? in the future is there a really old john wick is it in the past are we going to see young in his prime like are we going to see the real boogeyman right in the continental uh but we do know it won't center around him which i think is interesting i'm curious to know you know the wikiverse is expanding okay the wikiverse and still guys once again i have to put it out there the john wick wiki is still called the john wick wiki i check all the time why has nobody turned it into the john wiki we should have had that change by now John Wiki. I've written my congressman. Mm. Uh, I know that there's a lot more on my congressman's plate right now, right. but this is my pet issue. You know what and I'm the, saying? And, and the Transformers Wiki should be the Sam Wit Wiki. The Sam Wit Wiki. Come on. People, this is easy. These are softballs. This is like, let me tell you something, uh, Chuck. This is why you are uh, the author of one of the most anticipated novels of 2019. <laughs> Clearly. This is why. This is it. When it's the genius. This stuff just comes to him, folks. Yeah, you know what? They, they, uh, <laughs> Entertainment Weekly uh, referred to that novel as what might be a significant literary statement, and I just, I just throw them out. 
That's all it. All the time. If they listen to this show, they'd know like it's all significant literary it's statements. All. Yeah, I just drop them like like you would believe. Uh, this is a podcast entirely about John Wick. Only, only. About <laughs> so now we're getting to we're getting to the red circle. Yep. This is for people who are who are action fans, and for a lot of people, for people who are John Wick fans, this is the scene. This is it, man. The red circle is that clear. You set a trap. I'm going to the trap. Everybody's here at the trap. Yep. And you know it. Everybody knows it. He knows it. They know it. You know it. The, not just fatalistic in 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 like the biggest sense of the term, but just the fatalistic like the <sighs> time to make the donuts. You know what I mean? Like every yeah, like this is this is his destiny. There is no escaping what is to come. You get the feeling that that John and Vigo both saw exactly this on the chessboard. Yeah, it's not that he thinks he's going to die here. I'm sure it's an option. But it's that he knows there is no other way. The only way out is through, and this is through. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of, actually? It reminds me of, of that, that fucking Trump soundbite from last week when he declared the state of emergency, and he's like, so we're going to declare it, and oh, it's going to yeah. go da, da, to court, da, 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 da. and uh, we're going to lose in court. And, and we're like, going to lose again. It's just this guy who's like, I did this thing, and it was dumb, but I rolled the dice, and <laughs> here's how it's going to turn out. I got to do this again. Like, I got to go to the club. <laughs> uh, I got to kill Yosef, but then he's going to look at me, and then I'm going to run away. And then his dad's going to come, and then it's like me versus the entire world. Uh, so this scene yeah is wild it is wild you want to talk about stunt coordinators and directors of photography being given their first film yeah this is where if you know that you look at it and you go oh of course rubber meets road right here yeah this is where everybody on the production team of this film is in their element this is such an intensely insane sequence to pull off yep. because you still have all of john's purposeful movements all yep. of this perfect timing but it's in this gigantic crowd scene there's so much going on well first of all can we even talk about getting in the door the like one thing i do really love about this entire film is there is the sense that in despite being the boogeyman despite being clearly the monster who hunts the monsters there is still an a weird honor to John, or at least people just fucking like him. Yeah. Because like he goes to the door and it's like, what is it? Francis at the door. And he's just like, basically like you should go. Yeah. <laughs> you look good. You look, you look trim. You should leave. And he's like, thanks. I appreciate that. He's not like, I better call them and warn them. He's just like, well, good. You're a good guy and I'm fucking alive and I'm just going to leave. This is fucked up. They're all going to die. They're all fucking dead. Maybe you're dead. I don't know what's happening. I'm going away now. Yeah, it's like, hey, man, uh, so I'll uh, I'll be in there and you'll just be yeah. what? You'll be running down the street? Yeah, I'll just be uh, I'm going to I'm going to get in my car. I'm yeah. going to like Fra Francis does not give in to like the fatalistic side of this. He's not like, well, our destiny. Uh, I got to do my job here. To stop you from getting in. He's just like, nope, I know where this goes. I have seen this. I know you. I like you. I'm out. And this is another thing that you see in films like this, too, where where whether it's the uh, whether it's the sheriff or the samurai or whoever it is. Always somebody at the the piano player at the bar gets up and walks away, right? Yep. I am a normal human being on the chessboard of the gods. But yeah, if I, I can walk away, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm gonna, doing that. 
I'm not a god. I'm not a demigod. I'm not a hero. Yeah. I'm just a chump. And the fact that I have this one chance. And again, it does that really great job of inferring a a long history to John Wick that we don't get to see. Uh, it just goes enough to be like, there's a lot of relationships. And in and, and like Hollywood, it's a small industry. Like this, this weird business of criminals and monsters is a small industry. They all kind of know each other. Yeah, there are only so many people that could do this, right? <laughs> Which makes it extra special that Yosef fucks up. Yeah. Like, Yosef should probably know better and does not. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, here's a dude, like, the more we learn about John and John's connections to everything, the more we learn that, like, Man, Yosef really just doesn't fucking pay attention to no, shit. He's such an asshole. Just nothing. Just nothing. Balancing the the elements of this movie visually in this scene yeah. is just wild. Um, you know, the red circle actually, when you first get into it, is predominantly a blue club. Yeah, until <laughs> until it's a blue club yeah. with a lot of people that are that are spinning around red details. Yes, but it's a very blue club, and it's blue as he moves through it initially in the initial phase. It's very much like I own I I don't own this space. It's not gold. I I don't own it, but it's blue. It's safe. I have enough yeah. friends here. I could walk out of here unscathed. Yes, I could turn around and I could leave. This is really a place that's waiting for me. I think it's to even mostly dangerous. blue in the bathroom when uh, poor little on the curb for Toby Leonard Moore's Victor. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Oh God. When he, yeah. He, yeah. This is yeah. this is where we lose we lose our sweet sweet Victor. Toby Precious Leonard Toby. Moore. Just not. Not in things long enough. Billions though. He's still hanging on to billions. Still hanging on. Man, I'll tell you. One. I gotta start watching Billions. I guess. God, that's a fucking good show. Don't not watch Billions. Go go watch it. I'll wait right here. There are a lot of people I love in Billions. Yeah. And then I read something about there was like a breakdown of like a season finale scene in Billions. Mm-hmm. One of the writers was breaking it down and I was like, oh, this seems like a very clever show. Oh, it's so clever. But it's not too clever. Like, I don't feel like it's so like, ah, I gotcha. Like, it's it's clever in its own space and doesn't leave it. So Toby Leonard Moore dies. Yeah. And, you know, Toby mm. Leonard Moore in every almost in every show. I don't know what he's like in Billions, but certainly in Daredevil, he was like this. He's always the one that's like, hey, be chill, play by the... If everybody would just calm down and go back to the rule book like we're supposed to. He's very much rule book guy in Billions. So a a better character than that. He's uh, on the noble side in theory, on the good side. Okay. Uh, But he's still the same guy. He's still that same like, yeah, no, we're going to play by the rules and get the criminals and get the billionaires. and We're going to do the thing right. And then no one else wants to do it fucking right. You watch Wesley in in Daredevil and you're just like, this man is he is certainly uh, sinister, but but he's he's lawful evil. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's lawful evil. He's lawful evil. He's just like, dude, don't make me because doing this shit just causes more shit. And he feels that way in John Wick, too. There's a scene in the garage. He just looks like, God fucking damn it. Okay. All right. We're doing this. From the moment we meet him at the gas station, and he's just like, he's whispering to Yosef in Russian, just like, fucking calm down, dude. I know. He's like, I know you're kind to my boss. However. So we lose him. We lose him here. We lose him. And I want to say, like, they do some liberal splashing of blood. Oh, there's definitely a little more blood here. And they're doing it because they want you to know that, like, John is creating the danger. But here's the great thing, too. The 
the blood is kind of blue in this scene. The in this scene is kind of blue. Yeah, right. It's kind Which of is blue. fascinating because blood, classically, as it turns out, kind of red. Kind of red, uh, but it's up against all this blue light. But like yep, blue and purple, more and more red starts spreading. And as John maintains control of the fight here, um, Vigo's henchmen start descending on the club from a red light. All, everything all of a sudden is red swirls and things like that. But when you're watching particularly like one of the first deaths like outside of, of sort of the spa, John is John is like got a guy up against he's kind of like shushing him with his mouth. Yeah. And they're yeah. up against a corner and the, that whole surface is blue, but then everything blue. around it is red. Red. Oh. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. so beautiful. Let's let's talk about a moment here that troubles me. Sure. And it's a moment that I, I didn't really uh, like click with. I didn't even really notice it in a big way or think about it very much the first couple times I saw this. But I've, I've noticed it on rewatches and recently again. He clearly has a chance to kill Yosef. Yes. And does not take that moment. And it's fascinating. And I don't really know. I don't have a good answer as to why he doesn't do it. Because, I mean, he's... He's not really a sharpshooter, so he's not necessarily the guy who shoots at long distances, but they're close enough. Yeah. You feel like he could have, and he does eventually take shots at him, but right there, they lock eyes, and it's like, almost like I want you to fucking see what I'm going to do here, but he doesn't take any chance at it. And for someone who, uh, generally speaking, isn't the person who wants you to know you're dying, he's not showy. John Wick doesn't show off on the kills. He just does it, and then he's gone. Yeah. This is one where he stops for a moment, and I... I can't, uh, I mean, there's reasons. It's not that it bothers me, but I can't really get my hands around no, the neck of yeah. why this happens. This is, this is a moment that I, that I kind of struggle with as well, because I mean, like you're, like you're saying, John usually uses his gun at punching distance, which yeah, like yeah. <laughs> he is gun as fist is really what he does more often than yep, not. Right. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean he can't shoot across a room. There's this weird thing like. Back when I was reviewing video games a few years ago, we went through this period where everybody really loved the term ludonarrative dissonance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which makes me want to yeah. put a spike through my head. Yeah. One of the things that I did, like, back in the day is I gave a panel at PAX and I did a faux slideshow about ludonarrative dissonance and just why it was fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, because there is this idea of, like, when you're playing through, like, an Uncharted game, Nathan Drake kills 3,000 people. Yeah. But he never kills yep. the main bad guy. And why? Because I think of video games the same way I think of musicals. Nobody in Les Mis is singing. Yeah. It's the fucking French Revolution and people are dying. Nobody in Les Mis is singing. No. But they are. Yeah. Nobody in West Side Story is singing, but they are. But we're seeing it, yeah. In video games, Nathan Drake is probably not killing 3,000 people. No, but he is. But he is. This, to me, feels like one of those video game or musical moments, but without the structure and support of the medium, right? This is not a movie where John Wick is not killing all these people. He is. Oh, he is. This, he, is. he is definitely 100% killing all these people. And there's this weird thing to me where, like, I'm trying to put myself in that moment and I'm trying to put myself in that moment of hesitation. And the only thing that I can come up with that makes me feel a little satisfied in terms of character is he doesn't feel anything for anybody he kills because he doesn't know anybody and they have no connection to him. Right. Yeah. Or right. if they do, he kills them because they're assassins and the connection that he has to them is that they all know one day they're going to kill each other. Right. Yosef is a dumb kid. 
who did some stupid shit and made John Wick feel a lot of things. Yeah. And I almost wonder if John is not prepared for that in a way. Yeah. I, I, it's either that or one of the things I thought is maybe he realizes that though he has begun his descent into hell, this is really like the, you do have a shot to maybe get off this train. Mm-hmm. And it's right here. He could not, he could like, he has a moment where he's like, maybe, what if I just fucking didn't kill him? What if I didn't go back down into hell? What if I show that I could? Yeah, and then don't, and then we're good, and I could stop. But he's obviously, he makes a moment, and then it's, but it's too late. Yeah, and that's the other thing that I like in this, in terms of this like classic samurai western sort of structure is like, you can take that moment, you can take that moment and be like, hey, I proved what I had to prove. Yeah. These guys are scared of me. They know not to fuck I can, with me. I can get him. I can always get him. I can always get him. They know not to fuck. I had to remind them. They maybe thought that I went soft, but now they know not to fuck with me again. And everybody's reminded and I can go back and it's like, but no, you can't. Nope. You can't even leave no. one person around who would fuck with you. Yeah. And like, I have a feeling you like, you look at Yosef and you're like, no, this kid doesn't back down. He's the two of us. He's, he's his father's son. Yeah. Except a piece of shit, like a worse wormy piece of shit he is everything horrible about vigo with none of the discipline so none of the discipline that's right (laughs) what i love here visually is um so yosef obviously suddenly is like oh shit right i don't i shouldn't fuck with john wick yeah he you know he turns from yosef into uh poor poor fucking alfie allen man like just has to play this guy over and over he's never not gonna play oh god poor alfie just this sorry just this posturing fucking you know d- douchebag who all of a sudden yeah. gets his comeuppance yeah. uh and runs scared um but the, he we get that moment now and and yosef understands and that's i think another reason why maybe john hesitates is like oh i got through to this numbskull yeah maybe, or did you or did I, but he's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. or did die <laughs> yeah oh no or yosef begins to run uh the club is entirely blue now yeah it's all blue like there's nothing like this is John's club now. And uh, curiously, uh, apparently during a great deal of the filming of this, that uh, Keanu was sick, maybe with the flu or something like that. Oh yeah, like yeah, that which is crazy to me. Watching him pull all this off, sick. I've had a cold for a week, and I've like gotten off of my couch three times. Keanu Reeves probably has like some sort of weird near death flu, and is doing a, a an, an insane ballet of insane. action. Insane. Yeah, I really like the VIP lounge lighting because it is uh, a normal fluorescent light. It wants us to know in this point that like, hey, this is a building full of real people. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Just to let you know. But just to keep just to let you know as well what's still going on. For some reason, now all the henchmen are in red shirts, which I love. I love the world goes normal. So everybody has to heighten. Yeah. So we can still follow. It's almost this G.I. Joe red laser, blue laser thing. As he gets pulled back in the club, all of a sudden the club is red again, which I love. Like they like they just really choreograph every single visual thing in this club. I love that. They, they're just they're just telling you what's happening, like you're, the way you feel. It's not that they're telling you intellectually. They're telling you emotionally what's coming. And of course, you know, Yosef escapes. John makes it out. And we are going to after this. I mean, this scene, this is like a 15 minute scene. Yeah, I mean, it's really long. This is like a lot of John Wick. And it shouldn't work. Like, I, there's just action scenes, generally speaking. I don't, I don't like the action scenes that are too quick. 
But usually when it gets too long, you're like, you start to look at your watch. You're like, and that can happen. That can be a thing inside like superheroes. Like, yeah, I get it. They're, oh, he's picking up a building now and he's smashing him with a building and he's picking up a building. But they don't, what works here is that it, I think is the counting bullets thing. I don't mean literally in the sense that he's counting bullets is that every piece of this chessboard is accountable. Uh, whereas, you know, sometimes in the, the superhero stuff, it's like, oh, look, it's just a big piece of digital waste smashing against. And you're just like, hey, there's, I don't care about any of those pixels. But like you kind of these are all people dying. Yeah, I think very specifically about uh, climactic scenes in Transformers movies. Oh, God, it's just t- tinfoil pieces of tinfoil punching. And when they're and when they're transforming and they get close to the they get close to the camera and it's just gears and cogs. Yeah. And it's just what is happening. I think, you what know, the fuck? we talked about this a lot with uh, when actually Max Temkin joined us for for when we were talking about Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. Is the idea of like it all devolves into like jet punches and laser kicks. And this is very much because it was done by. I think stunt coordinators and action choreographers, this is done by people that want to show off what human beings can do. Yes. And they want to show it off in a clear way. This is more like, we're not being showy with this because the showier you get, the less human it is. But if you don't, if you don't orchestrate it, it doesn't feel like the descent into hell. Yeah. So I think what, I think why this works over 15 minutes is just like every person who runs away you know why they're running away. Every person who takes a hit, you see the hit that they take and you understand it. Oh, they're like, but there's, and there's also those nice little emotional stakes that are packed into this via those first 20, 30 minutes in terms of Yosef and his father, in terms of the dog, the wife, the, the, the thing you're going to hear later about his, you know, them robbing his moment to grieve. There's like a lot, it, it's enough fuel to burn you through this. And it's one of the things I think where maybe the, the sequel loses some of that engine because you don't, have that anymore to be like well okay now there's another 10 minute fight scene shootout scene but you're just like okay now it's just mechanical yes that's kind of all that it becomes it's fun it's fun to watch and it works but the trick about the sequel and i think where they're gonna go with where they have to go with three is they're going to have to lean more on supporting characters and supporting relationships Yeah. yeah because john can't you eventually become Die Hard 5, right? Where it's like, this guy isn't a New York cop that I identify with anymore. This guy is driving a truck into a helicopter. Like, I don't understand this anymore. John can only go back to this to this shit once. Yes. Right? Like, even the, even though we're told that he got out of it before, we see it once. We see, we, uh, we see Orpheus once, Right? If Orpheus goes back again because he forgot his keys, we don't care. We we go Orpheus. No, you're like, all right, dude, get you get out. Get a copy of your keys, man. Like, wait yeah, for your yeah. neighbor to get home. Get a new car. Get a new car. Get a new car, Orpheus. You idiot. Oh, by the way, as a side note, one of the interesting things about the uh, script, you idiot, uh, Orpheus, is that uh, John gets his fucking car back like right away in the script. He doesn't have to get a replacement car to go get it. And actually, I think that's more efficient. I don't think the car is the point, and I think the movie conflates that just a little bit to making the car be a thing. And it's just like, he just gets it back immediately. And I was like, okay, the dog is the thing. He's just like, fuck it. The dog is the thing. And the car is definitely not the thing. But one of the things that I do love about John Wick is the idea of, and and they maybe even weren't going for this so much. um, But I do love the idea of car as freedom and car as destiny and car as power, because like 
it, it is most defeated point, John takes the bus, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we see John Wick, normal man who has been beaten up, taking the bus, right? When cool yeah. John comes again, he gets a dope car from Aurelio, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. He gets another, he's going to get another car after, after Yosef's death. He will, he will punch people to death with a car later in this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yep. So the idea, I do like the idea of he owns a very unique car. He's a very unique man. That yeah, car is true. taken from him. And, and th- part of him. throughout yeah. this movie, he he is given other unique cars from other. Uni- I don't know. I like I like all the car switching because the, it, cha- the chain of cars. the chain of cars is like a chain of destiny. And, and like this chain of like and it, do- it does actually lend itself to the guns being tools and the cars are just tools. Yeah, too. Sure. There's a, there's a thing that I love about it. But I do also love the idea of like. Oh no, I got my car back, but you guys are assholes. So I'm driving like I do see what you're saying where it's like, no, I got it back immediately, but I'm still coming for you. It's almost like it's almost like in Breaking Bad when he basically cures his cancer. Yeah. And then he's like, "Yeah, no, I'm still going to be I'm still going to be the awful monster that I am." Cuz it turns out this is who I was, by the way. Oops. Yeah, that was just an excuse to be who I am, and now I'm yeah. that person. Sorry. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's gonna. I think that'll that'll take us to a nice ending point at the end of this scene here. So we can we can cap that and wait for next episode. Boy, I love John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, and I. That's the thing. I. You know, when we first talked about, like, well, we could do John Wick, and it was like, is there enough there to talk about? It's mostly just like. He shoots people in the chest and face, like right. And there's so much, but there is so much to talk. There about. is so much more. But you may have noticed, uh, gentle listener, that we are going through this movie much faster than we went through Thor Ragnarok. Like John Wick, man, we're just like John. Wick. We're doing it with uh, optimal efficiency. We cannot be stopped once we are given a mission. But that means probably we are going to finish this off in one more episode. Fuck yeah! So I guess the question that we have for you is: Do you have questions for us? Are there things that you would like to hear us discuss? Are there things that you would like us to watch or read or talk about? Talk about prayer requests, death threats, marriage proposals, whatever you got. Whatever you got, you can send them to us. You can do that in multiple ways. Number one is on Twitter. Twitter's horrible, but we're there. Uh, I'm at A Carboni. I am at Chuck Wendig. The other way you can do that is to email us at grandmaster at ragnatalk.com because, uh, I'll set up a new email eventually, but like yeah. this one works. It's good. It's good. I like. I like. It's a remnant of the old days. Yeah, like John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> like John Wick. The other way you can uh, contact us is just yell yell into a cloud. Yeah, if you yell tree, into a cloud, a tree stump. Uh, yeah. If you whisper into the bucket of the deepest well and then lower that bucket, it will get to us. The message. Yeah, just make sure it's not one of those bug out bag poop buckets. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you some things that I'm thinking of that I that I'd okay. like to take on over the next one, and people yeah. can maybe weigh in on this. Uh, mm-hmm. I just watched the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, some Coen brothers. Some Coen brothers. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen that one yet, but I am a Coen brothers fan. Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? Is a favorite film of mine. Yeah, I am. I am a fan. I do like that. I would like to. T- and that has a mythic, uh, mythic cut too. Oh, brother, that's some. Oh, ho- yeah. Homeric, a Homeric epic in Coen brothers form. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I love that one. I would do. I would do any Coen Brothers movie, really. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I'd love to get into some comic stuff. Mm, yeah, we do. Need love to get into stuff. some book stuff. I guess. Uh, I guess we do have the author of one of the most anticipated books of 2019 here. A, a significant literary statement about the drop. We've got Chekhov's yeah. safe full of authors. That's true. That's right. We just, op- <laughs> we just open it up in the third act, and they're all you. Uh, so let us know if there's anything you'd like us to take on. Another thing that I'd be really interested in. Speaking of Breaking Bad. Oh yeah. I'd love to take on particular episodes of TV shows. 
Not entire, not entire series run, but there are some we episodes. Could, we could do bot. We could do some bottle episodes, like of specific shows. That'd be interesting, right? man. Ryan Fucking. Johnson's bottle episode, yeah, right. In Breaking Bad is mwah. Can I put one out there? Fucking Russian Doll. Oh yeah, have you seen that? Holy shit! So I just finished Umbrella Academy because I owe my I owe my allegiance to Umbrella Academy. Yeah, I'm ju- I just started that. I'm sec- uh, two episodes. Ooh, they made some good changes. You're gonna like. Yeah. You're gonna like the way okay. they did it. Uh, okay, I'm in. I would do Umbrella Academy too, but I would also do uh, Russian Dolls for sure, for sure. We're in the uh, somebody tweeted this out. We're in the Natasha Leona sense right now, yeah, <laughs> the Renaissance of Natasha uh, Natasha Leona, yeah. and I'm into, I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, let us know via the aforementioned uh, contact methods, and uh, we're we're gonna take something else on. But next week will be the the grand finale, the car punching finale, the last bullet. The last, fight. the last fight of John Wick. So uh, please do join us, and we'll see you then. All right, Chuck, I love you, buddy. Love you, buddy.